something that all of us have in common happens every day is people every day some of us are around larger amounts larger numbers of people people everywhere we go there's people grocery store there's people gas stations there's people work there's people schools there's people entertainment venues are people 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 I don't know if you've ever had this thought go through your mind. The title that I want to share with you today is, I wonder if you've ever just looked at people and say, they aren't that heavy. (laughs) So hang with me. Let me give you an overview of Christianity real quick. can sum it up in a paragraph. What we know today as Christianity has its origin, of course, in Judaism, but it is Jesus. Jesus tells those first disciples that he's going to build a church. In that, Jesus' personal lifestyle and ministry involved individuals and at times the masses of people. Again, people, people, people. Jesus not only did that, but he started discipling, and he took to his side a dozen, 12, and he poured into them. As Jesus was preparing to go through his suffering, his passion, his death and resurrection, he instructed those first believers to tarry, to gather together, and to wait for a promise. The promise came in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. As a result of that, immediately one of those original 12, Simon Peter, stood to preach and preached with now an invigorated anointing that caused 3,000 souls to be saved. And from there, that outpouring continues. In that message, some of you know Acts 2, 38, 39 very well, and that his instruction to those 3,000, well, to the whole mass, but 3,000, responded to that you must be repentive of your sin, to be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. And then he promised that that promise wasn't just for that day, but that promise was also to the next generation and beyond. He said, to your children and those who are far off. But then something else began to happen that was different for religion. I want you to stand with me. Let's read Acts chapter 2. Again, I believe many of you that study the Word of God would say this is a familiar passage as well. But maybe you haven't looked at it in this light because there's now a transition. Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Thank you again, Lord, for your word. Let it also speak to us today, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This something different began to shape. Again, Jesus modeled how to care for people individually as he came across needs. And he would speak to the masses, and in the masses there would be a multitude of needs. And he would make sure that those needs were met. From there, he's pouring into these first disciples, knowing that the work needed to continue. And he would send them out in sorties. He would send them out on mission trips. And they would come back and give report. Yeah, you weren't with us this time. And yet, the things we witnessed in you were now witnessing in our life and in our effort. People are being healed. People are being set free. People are being changed. And we continue that to this day. But what this early group of believers, after that outpouring, they realized that now it was going beyond Jerusalem. It was going into the then known world. And they started picking up on the need of something. And as I would put it, we see that that first group met together in the apostles' teaching. But how long would that last if it was only the apostles' teaching? That first group, they would die off. So they shared communion with each other, the breaking of bread with each other. But there's another word there. Now, for those of you that are good cooks, you'll kind of get the analogy here. Anytime you're preparing something, you, you need a good binder to hold it together. For these instructions of teaching and praying and, and breaking bread with each other and and fellowship, I mean, excuse me, and, and communion with each other, it had to have a binder, and that binder is called fellowship. The need of humanity is fellowship. The gospel is glorious and powerful, but we're still working with people. So we got to ask ourselves, they don't look that heavy. Well, what do I mean by that? Again, here we are today. We have fabulous buildings. We have a lot of things that that first century would have never even dreamed of having. To get real close to where we are now, we've come through a pandemic. We live in a very, very fast-paced life. We have our jobs. We have our routines. And most of us, quite honestly, after we deal with all of that during a day, all we want to do is go home and chill out. We just want to go home and cocoon. If we're not careful, we'll just find ourselves cocooning. As long as I've got this one and this one, I'm good. But what happens when this one and this one are gone? This thing called fellowship. The Bible uses a word that seems strange to us. And it talks about commonality. It uses the word to be common several times. And what it's really telling us is there's an uncommon commonality that belongs to us. When you read Jude, we know it's only one chapter. The third verse 
tells us that we share a common salvation. That doesn't mean generic. That means in the sense that it is for the whosoever. That salvation is for all people. And the privilege, whether you're getting saved in Haiti or Jamaica or in one of the states in the United States or somewhere in Europe, you get the privilege of a common salvation, whether it's in this century or previous centuries or centuries ahead of us. Common salvation. In 1 Corinthians 12, something we'll share tonight, spiritual gifts, they are for the common good. That these gifts are distributed to build up other people. It's people. But they don't look that heavy. Well, again, what do I mean? Every one of those gifts is for the common good. And then we find here, they took it to another level. Not just spiritual matters of salvation and spiritual gifts, But now it moved into everyday living through fellowship. The practicality is we were getting together. We had a cup of coffee and a piece of pie. And I found out that my neighbor said they needed something. Well, you know, I got three of them. I'll just let them have one of them. And we find out that when we let go of that third thing that was just collecting dust over here and it made them happy, it made me happy. This uncommon commonality that just continues. When you finally step out and trust it and try it by faith, I'm going I'm to give and just see. If I give, it'll come back good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. I, I, he's gone home to be with the Lord, but I love Zig Ziglar. And one of the principles that I learned early on as a teenager reading his material is, do you know how you get what you want in life? By helping enough other people get what they want. What a great principle. This uncommon commonality that says we can have all things common. And then even going to the place where I may not have three of them. It may be the only one I have, but they have need. Well, you know what? I'm going to trust and I'm going to give that away and see just what happens. Can it be reproduced in my life? And will it show up in other ways? Again, this uncommon commonality. About 300 years ago, there was a young man born. His name was uh, John Fawcett. John Fawcett was an Englander. John was one of those that lost dad and mom very early in life. He was just a, just a, a boy. He was converted at age 12. And at age 16, he was at a George Whitfield revival And he felt a call to preach. In the next couple of years, he would meet Mary and they would be married together. And wow, just a young man and I have this call to preach. And somebody recognized that. And they started pastoring a little church in Waynesgate, England. Well, nobody even heard of Waynesgate. It's just a wide spot in the road. Matter of fact, it's very impoverished. And they went there, you know how it is, eager to learn, full of passion and just whatever we can do. And they found a people that were so ignorant. They were filled with vices, terrible vices. But they needed the gospel, so we're going to shepherd these people. We're going to help these people. These people were illiterate. And they would begin helping them in everyday practical ways. And finally, 
the union of the marriage produced four children. The typical story was unfolding, and they realized the only way this congregation has ever paid for our needs is by giving us eggs, which would be great today, by the way. <laughs> Just a thought. And produce that they had in common wasn't a big salary. But after several years, John and Mary thought, well, you know, we've, we've done our our duty here, we'll, we'll just, you know, we'll trust for something bigger. The word got out, and a church in London said, we need a pastor. You've got experience. Come to us. John and Mary prayed about it, got their things together, put it in the wagon. And as they were gathering things in their wagon, the people that they had served so many years came just crying and said, what will we do without you? Well, God will supply. But it was Mary first that just looked at her husband and said, I can't do this. I can't do this. John said, I'm glad you said that. I feel the same way. And they would remain there and serve there 50 years. Somebody else may say they were failures. But I believe John and Mary looked at their people and were saying to themselves, they don't look that heavy. Hmm. In other words, they continue to serve and minister. There's a beautiful word that goes along with all this, and it's the word community. In year 2000, the Brookses moved from Arizona back to Georgia. One of the first things that I did is I met with those that I knew had previous ministerial experience. They were a son of a pastor. They had served themselves some way. I wasn't looking for a particular number, but I wound up with 12. I gathered in a conference room just adjacent to the sanctuary here. And my question to them was, I said, listen, I've left here once. I'll leave here again one day. I don't know when that day will be. I'll either have another appointment or I'll go buy a pine box. But this is your community. What is it that you believe in? What will you fight for to the death? Things are progressing. Things, some things evolve. Some things need to be retired. But what is it that you'll fight for to keep? The first one spoke up and said, I believe in community. I was glad to hear that word. Because there's an expression that all of us have heard, and it's the expression, bloom where you're planted. So let's get personal today. What about you? Are you blooming? Or is take this job and shove it attitude? They don't look that heavy. Uh, they look heavy to me today. I'm going to get rid of them. Bloom where you're planted. The seasons of life. Where are you now? And what are you doing with the time? Whoa, pastor, you get tough today. Well, it may just be some illiterates. It may be people that with vices. It may be people that I've elevated myself past. Or, it, you know, it just may be other things I don't care for. But where am I now and what am I doing? Am I blooming? For those of you that's been in the same place, same job, same neighborhoods, whatever, you still got to ask yourself, am I still blooming? Don't you love finding those people that continue to enjoy life and share life with others no matter what their age is? Aren't there those people in your mind that are older than you and you're like, but I don't care how old they are. They're just wonderful. I want to be around them. 
I like being around these people that are positive. I like being around these people that get involved. I like these people that have that uncommon commonality about them. I like conversing with them. I like sharing with them. Matter of fact, they're modeling for me what I want to be when I get older. How many of you would say you're old now, but you want somebody looking to you? Oh, come on. You see, this thing that started way back then still happening. It belongs to us. This uncommon commonality that says, I see all people. But what can I do now? What is it that I have in reserve? And what is it that I that may have to sacrifice, but I'm hearing the need? And to do it to the common good. This blooming where I'm planted. <laughs> the definition of community is simply this. It's usually local. And it's sharing common. There's the word again. Characteristics and common interest. It's joint possession. It is joint enjoyment. And get ready for it. And it's joint liability. It is the balance. It is the balance. It is that of what our Bible tells us. When one rejoices, are you capable of rejoicing with them? Or do you have to shout them down and say your story's a little better than theirs? Pastor, you're just getting with it today, aren't you? I mean, doesn't it really irritate you when you're sharing something that you're finally able to accomplish and they say, yeah, I've already done that three times. Don't be that person. Rejoice with them. They just got a promotion at work. Rejoice with them. They just found out they're pregnant. Hallelujah, this is wonderful. This ability to see people. And just ask, they don't look too heavy. This joint liability. This is how the Bible puts it. Galatians 6 and 2. Bear one another's burdens. For this is the I guarantee you, many of you can't finish that sentence. This is the law of Christ. He wrote a law on that? Wow. Are you breaking the law when you don't bear one another's burdens? Would somebody say amen right now? Whew, okay, you're still with me. <laughs> used to be a minister in Atlanta on TV. It used to crack me up. I'd hear him Sunday nights when it got tough like that. Hey, I'd hear him say, I don't hear many amen out there. Bear one another's burdens for this is the law of Christ. And then goes on and don't grow weary in your well-doing. And look for opportunity to everyone. There was a young man by the name of Howard Loomis. Most of you won't recognize that name. Howard Loomis in 1918 was taken to an orphanage. Howard Loomis was just dropped off there and he would meet Father Flanagan. Howard came with an impediment. 
He had been stricken with polio. And he had the heavy braces. It was very awkward for him to maneuver and constantly needed help. Other boys in this orphanage, and it became known as Boys Town, got to where they just kind of helped him around. And finally one day, Father Flanagan was there when Reuben Granger was picking up Howard and carrying him up the steps. And Father Flanagan simply said, isn't that hard for you? And there it is. Ready for it? You know it now. He simply looked at Father Flanagan and said, He's not heavy. He's my brother. So now I ask, do they look that heavy? At times we look at situations and say, I can't handle another situation. It's too heavy for me to carry. I don't know if I could really help them. I, I can't deal with that mental illness. I can't deal with that physical ailment. I can't deal with that impoverishment. I can't deal, I can't deal. And we eliminate ourselves out of an opportunity to do good. Pastor, you are preaching so good today. What are we missing? With tunnel vision. With routine. He's not heavy. He's my brother. You know, I can handle this because he's my brother. I don't know if I'd do it for whosoever, but yet our Bible tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. This whole thing that just opens up for that early church when they put that binder of fellowship with teaching and with communion, all those spiritual things they they found out, as the Bible declares, they found favor with everybody. The awe in their worship created signs and wonders. Everything transformed when that binder of fellowship was attached to those things that would change. But you got to get connected. You got to have that moment, taking that opportunity to bear one another's burdens and not get weary in. How many has ever been weary doing good? Every hand ought to go up. And somewhere along the way, I promise you, you're going to be doing good and they just look at you and snarl. Or they don't say anything. <laughs> of course, all of you know I'm a bus driver now. And believe it or not, students leave things on the bus. Who knew? And it's not just the elementary, it's band instruments, it's laptops. This week I had another one of those experiences and a student left a musical instrument, so I called dispatch, got permission to go back by the school after I did my other runs and took that to the school so they could get it to the student. I was so pleased when the young man got on the bus that afternoon, he seldom ever says hello and just says, thank you, Mr. Randy. See, that was worth it all. That was a moment of connection. There's been other times I've done things for students and they come in and just, oh, okay. And I'll stop them. <laughs> the word is thank you. That's my job. A teaching moment. 
Oh, it doesn't matter if he says hello to me. But thank you? Yeah. Because he didn't look that heavy to me. That kid's my brother. Would you stand with me today?